What would be, are you guys are, are you into indie car racing at all? I like indie car racing. I'm not okay. particularly uh, educated or uh, insider. I do like it. Do you go to the race? Yeah, I usually go. Okay, I've gone probably 15 out of the last 10 years. Okay, so yeah. that's a lot of better than me. So that's into it. It's yeah, better than me. Yeah, I mean, you can't really participate in this conversation. You can, no. but um, so I guess two things. One. They had first open wheel testing yesterday. Saw that. Obviously, when this episode releases, we'll be in the the fabulous month of May here in Indy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that was one piece I was excited to see that because it, I, I guess I didn't. I, maybe I knew, but I didn't realize until I saw it on the news. I was like, oh, sweet, that's. So that's you weren't happening. there. You just saw it. You I saw it on not the news. There, no. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then I don't know if you have any favorite drivers or not, but obviously this is Tony Kanaan's last year, which yeah, I kind of gotten uh, wrapped up in, into him and follow him, and so that. That should add a little more, another element. He's been a fan favorite for, I don't know, the last five or 10 years, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you guys go to the race, where do you typically sit? Usually somewhere between the start, finish, and first turn. Okay. Yeah. So you're just down from us. We're usually first turn area. Okay. Um, have you taken your kids now? We have. And have they bought in? Um, Plus or minus. Yeah. I don't know if it's an every year thing, but uh, they like the, the hurrah. It's a lot of work getting in there, bringing in food and drinks yeah. and stuff. So, yeah. uh, And it's a long day, but it's fun. They, they enjoy it. That's the key. So my parents had set a rule when we were kids that you had to be nine before you could. Okay. And I was a kid, I was like, what's yeah. that all about? Now that you're a parent, I'm like, oh, I get it. Yeah. Because yeah. you had like a four-year-old, you take the race and they just melt down. It's like, yeah, sorry, you're buddy. Nine. Like, We're here for the duration. Like, We're not. We're yeah. not leaving. Yeah. That's it's like a long day. Lap 25 and yeah, <laughs> right. 175 to go. So. <laughs> you could lay down and take a nap if you yeah. can. Yeah. Well, because of uh, the topic, you know, Joseph Newgarden has done some public awareness stuff for melanoma. So okay. I've always been a Newgarden fan since yep. the beginning. Makes and I sense. met him when he was first coming into uh, the circuit and the, hit the big time. And so he did some stuff pretty early on. Um, and I think we, we've seen... Most years they're giving out like wristbands to show like UV exposure and some sunscreens out there too. So oh. um, I think that he's been a part of that. And I think the IndyCars, um, IMS has been good about sponsoring. How how do those wristbands work and how accurate are they? And the I reason why know. I ask that is because like I could see people saying, oh, interesting. So I'll put one on. And yeah. if it like all of a sudden just goes off the charge or yeah. like that might freak some people out. Yeah, yeah. I don't know much of the technology around that. I think it's probably pretty goofy, but it's like, you know, like uh, – Glow in the dark balls. I mean, like you don't have to have them out in the sun very long to get them to glow in the dark. So right. I think yeah. that's the same with those. Okay, but I think it's probably a terrible idea for people that are visual and they're like until they get sunburned, they can't really tell. Yeah, yeah. So. It's a nice reminder. Just right halfway through the race, like okay, you should probably throw sun. some more back on. Yeah. yeah. Now I say if it had a way of determining, okay, I, I put that first layer on at you know eight a.m. But by one, I should reapply if it had some sort of alert yeah. to let you know that. I don't know how the hell I mean, do that. But. You, I mean, you could with different, if it changed different colors. So like application one was like, became visible after a little bit of time and then application two and then three and then four. Right. We should of probably course. stop talking about it and just patent it if and make it happen. If you consume seven beers by one p.m. There you go. Yeah, do yeah. it on the beer count. You may, yeah. <laughs> you may not, you may change colors, but you're like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. True. Yeah, I think more True. likely you'd see technology on like a watch or something yeah. like that that might say, all right, you've gotten exposed to so much. Right. I mean, we say every two hours. I mean, if you're going to be out in the heat of the sun every two, two hours. That's a lot. Yeah. Like golfers, I say, at the turn, you know, like, because that's around two hours usually, yeah. especially. Usually you're sweating a little bit if you're right. walking. Um, 
Whoops. So <laughs> yeah, I'm like I'm adding yeah. up the amount of time I've played golf. I'm like, I am not applying as often as yeah. I should be applying. Yeah, that's why I stay pretty busy. <laughs> yeah. 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 So you're welcome. Yeah. 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 Golf and yeah. tennis. Are it's like a chiropractor advertising at a go-kart track. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Sore oh, necks wait. and back. I yeah. have an idea. As we kind of enter into the whole pickleball world, we have oh, a yeah. new sponsor. There we go. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's do it. Heard it here first. Right. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Summits Podcast. Thank you all for joining us from wherever you get your podcasts or for tuning in from the Heroes Foundation YouTube channel. Thank you for doing so. And guys, on the YouTube channel, uh, something for you that's absolutely free of charge. If you haven't hit that subscription button, please do so now. It'll take a second and it's only it's absolutely free. Uh, also, while you're doing that, hit that little notification bell icon so you can be notified when new episodes drop like this very one. All right, guys, we've got a good one for you here today. Uh, local homegrown product I've known for a long time. He and his brothers and sisters, um, Dr. Nick Countryman, is joining us here at the Summits Podcast. Um, Nick, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. I had to say Nick or Dr. Countryman or... Please, Nick. Thank there you. you go. <laughs> I figured we'd known each other long enough. Um, well, I'll still call you Dr. Yeah, Nick Countryman because That's I just fine. met you, right? All right. Yeah. It's that level of respect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, why don't you uh, give everyone a little introduction to yourself? Sure. Well, thanks very much for having me. I'm really honored. Obviously, uh, this is a subject near and dear to my heart. We enter uh, into the time where we start to talk about skin cancer awareness, and that happens to be my passion. So I'm a dermatologist here with Dahl's Retin Dermatology in town, and uh, we have a really robust group of dermatologists uh, spread out throughout central Indiana that uh, do a great job taking care of our community. And I specialize in the group with um, uh, skin cancer. So I do an in-office procedure that we um, are able to remove skin cancers, primarily the head and neck. Uh, we do uh, uh, the pathology on site. And then we, uh, once we can clear tumors, we are able to uh, reconstruct uh, patients here in my office. So uh, it's a really neat way of treating a very common disease that um, you know has continued to increase in our in our uh, country um, in skin cancer and so uh, something that I'm really passionate about and um, glad that you guys invited me to be here and talk a little about that and about what we need people to know about it yeah, yeah no problem um, question for you at what point so for for our listeners uh, benefit um, Nick and I somewhat grew up together Nick and, and my younger brother Joe are the same age so they they grew up together. Uh, Nick's older sister, Heather, and I were in the same class, and then his older brother, Brad, and my sister, older sister, were in the same class. Uh, so we know each other, the family's known each other for a long time. At what point, two, a two-part question, at what point did you know that you wanted to become a doctor? And then secondarily to that, when did you decide, hey, dermatology is where I want to go, okay. what I want to practice? Yeah. So uh, yeah, our families have known each other for a long time. I guess... Uh, you guys lined up with you know, my sister and my brother and your sister. They could have been arranged, but it would have been really weird if Joe and I were arranged there. That didn't work out. Uh, but no, uh, known the Todd family for a long time. Spent some time down in uh, Fort Myers, Florida. Yep. Had some good times down there, getting too much sun. Um, but uh, your family was always generous to take me along. I remember riding in the backseat of the van, just laying on the floor, sleeping on the way down there. But a lot of good times. So, um, yeah, so... Science was always my interest in school, and so as you know, AP chemistry in uh, high school and uh, biology just definitely piqued my interest. 
So then I went to Notre Dame and studied biochemistry. Uh, and at that point, you know, there's a couple different ways you can go. You can go towards more of the science um, path and research and um, different types of basic science research in the laboratory or clinical research or, you know, medicine. And I was, you know, very interested in both, but definitely kind of just being a people person. I think that uh, more naturally medicine kind of felt like the right path. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, headed to, in that direction um, and uh, applied to medical school and was accepted. Um, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I mean, used to chase my dad around with my toolbox and knew that I liked using my hands and a lot of medicine is procedural. And so definitely spent a lot of time in the operating room as a medical student, very interested in orthopedic surgery and ear, nose and throat surgery. Uh, but then was introduced to dermatology, um, and specifically most surgery and skin cancer. And, um, after spending some time in some basic science research labs and dermatology, and then in the operating room, I kind of put it all together and kind of found this subspecialty within dermatology that piqued my interest. So I'm able to kind of use, you know, my science background, but also love the procedural side of what I get to do, um, treating skin cancer day in and day out for my patients. You you mentioned subspecialty. What is that subspecialty? So it's called Mohs surgery or Mohs dermatologic surgery or micrographic surgery. Um, So um, the way that dermatology works, you do a one-year internship after medical school, um, followed by a three-year residency, um, and then you're eligible to be a board-certified dermatologist. And um, and then you could do several different paths. You can, you know, after that. Um, but I went on to do a fellowship um, for a year um, to specialize in, um, you know, the skin cancer and um, the procedure that I described and um, the reconstructions from those. So just allowing me to have a little bit more expertise than the average um, dermatologist, um, you know, in this field. Right. Um if you would describe the most surgery for us. Sure. Um, so and keep it super exciting. Super exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So all the patients that uh, uh, present to my office have a biopsy proven skin cancer. The most common. So they've being, already been diagnosed at that point. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So um, those common being basal cell carcinoma and squamous cell carcinoma. We kind of put those in this field of non-melanoma skin cancers. Okay. Um, and those two comprise about... Um, 90% of all skin cancers, maybe a little bit more in our country. Okay. Um, and there's as many as you know, 5 million of those diagnosed every year in the United States alone. And that's wow. as many as all their cancers combined. Yeah. Fortunately, you know, these are primarily treatable, um, locally um, aggressive tumors that can be removed with different methods, including most surgery. Um, and then the other percentage uh, is melanoma. So we treat superficial melanomas as well um, in our office. So um, the patients come in usually with the diagnosis of one of those three. There's a few other rare tumors that we treat. Um, and then um, I meet the patient. We mark out the tumor. It's primarily neck up. We do some really aggressive or recurrent uh, tumors off of the head and neck on the genitalia. Hands and feet are another place that we operate. And we mark out the tumor. We anesthetize it. It's all done our local anesthesia, which is an advantage because mm-hmm. the patients don't have to get put to sleep. Some of our patients are aged and are not great candidates to get put to sleep. But even for young people, you know, anesthesia does has its downsides if we can keep them awake. So they come in, get anesthetized, all local anesthesia. We cut out the tumor, we cauterize, bandage them, and then we take it to our laboratory. We do a frozen section technique where we uh, freeze the tissue. We cut very thin sections. We stain it. And then I interpret it. So there's some major advantage of me cutting it out and then interpreting it in my own lab. 
So at that point, there's two uh, outcomes. One, the tumor's been completely removed. The patient's ready to get uh, reconstructed. Two, there's some tumor remaining. We are able to map that out and serially go back and remove that area. So not only achieving a very high cure, but leaving a very um, small wound, um, taking only what we need, nothing extra. Mm-hmm. Um, so we call it a tissue sparing procedure. So in that way, we're able to achieve high cure rates as high as 98 to 99% for basal cell carcinoma um, and leaving the smallest wound. Why is that important? Well, many of these things are in anatomically, uh, functionally, or aesthetically important areas. So we're talking, you know, just this morning, I treated um, tumors on the eyelid, on the nose, on the ears, on the lips. All those are pretty important areas for various reasons. Yeah. And aesthetically very important when you take off, uh, you know, a several centimeter you know, tumor on somebody's nose. That's pretty important, you know, not only functionally but aesthetically. So um, being able to not achieve those high cures but allows us to then reconstruct the wounds, leaving normal tissue behind. So then we set out to do all different types of things. We do some pretty cool stuff in the office, as simple as letting things heal naturally, but then we stitch things side to side together. Uh, just this morning, I took somebody's forehead and put it onto their nose to reconstruct a really massive wound from a superficial melanoma. So, you know, everything in between. Um, but, you know, even though many of the tumors that I treat are not life-threatening, um, many of them are quite disfiguring. And um, so I think, you know, as part of this conversation, you want to educate, you know, the people listening about, you know, early intervention and um, educating about um, screening and about protection. But um, that was a long-winded way of Trying to keep it exciting. No, it's okay. So uh, you mentioned, sorry, you mentioned yeah. carcinomas and melanomas. About roughly how many different types of skin cancers are there? Are those the two primary? Yeah, so there are a lot, um, but a vast majority of them are made up of basal cell carcinoma, squamous cell carcinoma, and melanoma. Those are ones that you know most people will have heard of. Okay. Um, the basal cell and squamous cell carcinoma are very common, mostly treatable, locally aggressive tumors, um, millions, but you know deaths are in only a couple thousand. Melanoma is much less common. There's probably, Cancer Society suggests, probably around 100,000 melanomas this year. Um, but they'll probably be close to 10,000 deaths, maybe a little bit less. It's very aggressive, correct? It's a much more aggressive tumor that tends to spread beyond the local area, yeah. metastasize to other areas of the body. Um, so that's the one that's the most deadly of all. <clears throat> so, so for these removals, are you doing it all by hand, using different tools, machinery, technology? How are you doing, especially... So like you said, like on the eyelid and some right. of these very sensitive areas and small areas. How, how do you how do you handle those? Yeah, it's. Uh, I think my son's going to try to put me out of work and try to figure out a robot that's going to do it all. But we do it all by hand. <laughs> okay. So uh, really, the instrumentation hasn't come too far along. We use sharp blades and scissors, um, and most of it's all done by hand. Okay. Same with all the processing behind the scene. It's all done by technicians who are trained to be able to process the tissue. Okay. Um, but uh, we use some, you know, cautery machines and some lasers and other things for specialized procedures. But um, it's pretty much just fine work. I use surgical loops that I can see fine detail and mm-hmm. um, really precisely remove, especially when you get around like the eyelid and things like yeah. that. That's super helpful. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, like uh, really special like machines or lasers like these okay. cool ro- robots that other people are using. But my son Luke's like during the pandemic, he's like, we just need a robot. You can just do this from home, Dad. I'm like, yeah, yeah I don't know if that'll work very well. <laughs> It's interesting. I was I actually just was watching a video the other day talking about like different um, you know scalpel blades like down to obsidian blades and sapphire blades and things like that. So yep. is that something that comes up for you guys that much? Uh, at ours all? are pretty basic. Stainless okay. steel is what we kind okay. of stick with. They're yeah. super sharp and yeah. uh, they yeah. work pretty darn well. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, Nick, I know uh, your cancer story or stories, but obviously our our listeners don't. What uh, based on the 
the, really the theme of the summits podcast. What is your cancer story? Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, the, my life's been very blessed. Uh, I, um, have had just an incredible childhood raised by two great parents, but unfortunately neither is still with me. Um, I lost my mom when I was 27 years old to lung cancer. Um, and, uh, more recently lost, uh, my dad to, um, to colon cancer. Um, I grew up with grandparents, um, you know, all four of my grandparents, all of them living, you know, on my street. Um, my grandmother lived to 105 and another into her nineties and others into their eighties. So that's kind of what I grew up expecting. So to say, um, that I was, you know, blown away when my mom died in her mid fifties, I would say it'd be an understatement. Um, so, um, cancer definitely hit close to home. Um, and, um, you know, every day I wish I could see my mom, you know, watch my children, you know, grow up and, you know, I know she does from heaven, but, uh, it's not the same to have her here to, um, you know, give advice and, and same with my dad. Um, you know, even though he was in his early seventies, it still just felt too young, um, to lose him. Um, and, um, so many other family and friends who've, you know, who've, Loss of battle of cancer, but definitely mom and dad, definitely nearest to my heart. Yeah. Yeah. I know um, your sister, Heather, and my wife have uh, have that common bond of losing their moms that are certainly a way too early of a, an age. Yes. Um, and they've, I know they've shared many of those stories. Heather was obviously very present when um, Sunday's mom passed away several years ago. And then never would have guessed that they would have had a rule reversal as early as it did. Right. Um, and I know they've talked quite a bit um, about that since. Um, yeah, it, it sucks. I mean, I don't know any other way to put it. It does. I mean, like I said, it's really blessed to have great parents and it's never long enough, whether they're 55 or if they're 95. Um, but, um, definitely cancer can take people all too, too soon. And, uh, really appreciate the work you guys do to try to, you know, allow people to not have that same fate. And so they can spend more time with their loved ones for, for years, much longer than they should. It's getting, you know, lung cancer has come a long way since my mom was diagnosed, you know, um, you know, 20 years ago and same with, uh, even, you know, with things that are happening in colon cancer. So I just hope that people in the future will have more opportunities and what my parents did to enjoy life and in their families. Yep. Well said, we appreciate your guys' support. I mean, you guys were there, the early beginning days, if oh, you yeah. will, of the Heroes Foundation. So it's really been a, a, a huge part of our success. Um, Flipping back to uh, skin cancer a little bit, you know, now that we're in the month of May, which is uh, Skin Cancer Awareness Month, right. um, what is some of the, uh, ed- I guess, educational tidbits you would provide to folks on ways they can pre- try to prevent themselves from getting skin cancer? Yeah, so uh, that's it's a great uh, thing, and you know, um, the American Academy of Dermatology, which I'm a part of, um, has spent a lot of resources to try to educate the public. Um, in the United States, we haven't done a great job, you know, with protection of not only um, ourselves, but our children. And we've done a lot of work to try to um, improve that. Um, you know, it's really simple stuff. And, you know, as we talked about earlier, um, you know, it seems, you know, you know, almost insulting to tell people, but it's as simple as protection. And then um, it's screening and it's, you know, it's uh, monitoring yourself. So, um, the most important is really just protecting your skin from the ultraviolet rays of the sun. So ultraviolet, uh, you know, radiation is probably the number one 
predictor of um, the development of skin cancer. Um, and so as simple as seeking shade when you're out uh, during the heat of the day, particularly between 10 and 2, um, is critically important. And then wearing sun protective clothing, um, you know, it's critically important to protect our skin from those damaging rays. And it's the best way to do that is with uh, clothing. So um, there's a lot of really good products out there. A lot of the sporting goods stores um, sell them. You can get them on Amazon. You can get them, you know, all different outlets on on the Internet. Uh, we sell them in our retail store at the office. Um, but a lot of that's come a long way. In my own family, we wear sun protective hats. So we recommend hats with, um, you know, four-inch brims on them to try to protect your ears and your neck. Um, that's super helpful. And, of course, sunscreen. I mean, it seems silly and nobody loves to talk about this topic, but we recommend an SPF of 30 or better in a wide spectrum, which means it covers UVA and UVB. Um, and all those things are on the label, so SPF 30 or greater. Um, usually it says broad spectrum or um, UVA and UVB. Um, and then just using that, I tell people, you know, if you buy it and put it on your shelf, that doesn't help a whole lot. So you got to <laughs> really use it. Right. And you got to use it uh, regularly. So if you're going to be sweating or in and out of the pool, you want to re- reapply after you dry off. If you're going to be out for extended periods of time, more than two hours, you want to want to reapply. If you're going to be playing golf for four hours or five hours, depending on how quickly you're playing or how much beer you're drinking, um, then you're going to want to reapply it at the turn. So um, and if you're going to Indy 500, you put it on <laughs> 8 a.m., yeah. apply again at noon. Sounds good. And apply again maybe at 4 or something. Yeah, if you're know. still out there at 4, yeah, it's been right. a long day and a lot of crashes. But, uh, yeah, no, I think, uh, yeah, that, that's a good idea. You know, just every couple few hours, just keeping it, pulling it out and reapplying because it does not last all day. If you're outside right. getting sun beating down on you all day, it does not last. Um, and then using plenty of it. A lot of people um, just use a little bit of it. And we use kind of like a shot glass because um, a lot of adults can, you know, imagine that if you ever have the time and you're putting on some sunscreen, squeeze something into a shot glass. That's what we say to recommend yeah. that, to cover. And it's a lot. Yeah. Um, so probably more than what you probably use. Yep. Um, yep. I can I can agree to that. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, uh, yeah, so there's a big one. So seeking shade, sunscreen, sun protective clothing and hats. And then protecting your lips is another one that we try to remind, remind people. You can put sunscreen right over your lips, but also people like chapsticks and things like that. Get one with SPF in it. There's a lot of them that have it in it mm-hmm. now. And then the eyes are the other one. You can get skin cancer in your eyes, so protecting them with um, good uh, sunglasses can be super helpful, especially if you're out the race or other things. And the last thing I warn people about is that um, even if you're in the shade, sun reflects. So if you're on the beach or if you're next to a pool, got to be really careful because a lot of people are like, I had sunscreen on, I was in the shade, they're sitting next to the, you know, the, the pool or on the, on the beach and the sand or the water's reflecting it. And I've seen a lot of people get in trouble, even my own family in that yeah. situation. Or even snow skiing. Snow skiing, exactly. Snow, Thank people you. People think, oh, yes. yeah. it's cold here, not, not a big deal. Yeah. And on a sunny day and they get back and their face is fried. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we learned that a few times. So, yeah. yeah. No, we've all been there. And the other thing is people, you know, say, oh, it was cloudy out. It's like, unfortunately, the clouds do not protect you very well. So even on a, a sunny or on a cloudy day, my kids, I tell them put their sunscreen on. Like, Dad, it's cloudy out. It's a joke around our house. I'm like, it doesn't matter. Like, I know that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, just remember, even if it's cloudy out, you know, you still can get a pretty good sunburn. Yeah. Um, on, on the self-exam part, or even just if you're visiting your doctor, um, I, I get a I get a physical exam, like an executive physical every year. I know that's for whatever reason, that's sadly kind of not the norm. 
Right. Um, and it's part of that. They do like this, um, I don't know what it's called, but basically uh, this camera scans and, and finds, you know, freckles or moles or whatever. And, right. And it has a, takes a closer look at ones that kind of stand out. What do you recommend for those who, you know, either don't see their doctor enough, don't get annual physicals, if they're, especially if they're getting up in, in my age or our age and, and, and older, obviously I'm clearly older than both of you guys. Um, but, but also, if 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 they're not seeing a physician and they just say, "Hey, I got this kind of funny looking mole," what should they look for? And it, what is that trigger point? To say, "Hey, maybe I should go have a professional look at this." Yeah, um, a great question. So, yeah, I know most of us don't have the privilege of getting you know a mole mapping or a, a, some picture done by you know uh, somebody regularly, and that's okay because there are ways that you know we can monitor ourselves or we can have significant others help monitor us because backs and, you know, backsides are harder to see in mirrors. Um, So we keep it really simple. So we try to educate all our patients um, about uh, kind of warning signs of moles, bad moles. Um, So we use just an easy thing to remember, A, B, C, D, E. Okay, I can remember that, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. we all know our alphabet. So A, A is for asymmetry. So most moles should be symmetric. So you should be able to cut them in half, flip them on themselves, and they should pretty much look like each other on both sides. Okay. B is the border. The border should be regular. So sometimes the borders are a little jagged or irregular. That can be a warning sign for uh, an atypical mole or melanoma. C is color. So usually they should be kind of one color, tan or brown. Um, but if they're tan and brown and dark brown or black, um, that can sometimes be a concerning sign. Then diameter, so usually we use the kind of rule of thumb, the back of a pencil eraser. So um, if it's much larger, not necessarily a predictor of melanoma, but bigger ones oftentimes have a higher risk for being atypical or cancerous. And then E we use for evolution or evolving. So something that's changing over time, we usually worry about. Um, usually moles, they grow, they stop growing. People can get new moles into their 40s and maybe even their 50s, but beyond that, probably not. Um, they probably are getting other benign growths, but not moles, and that, so new spots at that age. So A, B, C, D, E, asymmetry, border, color, diameter, evolving are the things that we try to teach our own patients every day when we see them in the clinic, especially ones that have lots of moles, so they can monitor at home because it's also pa- oftentimes patients or there are significant others who are spotting something like, that's a new one, that's different, that one has these types of features. And they oftentimes are part of the same care team that we are to get those things biopsied early for early detection and treatment. Yep. All right, cool. Good to know. Um, If someone notices something like that, obviously the first thing they should do is go have a professional look at it like yourself. Right. What is... What is the process for for you guys evaluating that? I mean, you're you're kind of following those same guidelines, but sure. with a much more professional manner and experience. Um, but then, what what triggers to say, you know what? Yeah, this needs to be this needs to be treated, or I need to re- remove that, or what have you. I mean, what's the criteria there? Yeah, so it's it's not it's not easy. It's not straightforward. Um, you know, I, I recommend uh, people see you know a team you know run by a board certified dermatologist. We you know spend our days monitoring patients that have, you know, melanoma, cystic melanomas or atypical moles and other types of skin cancers. So trying to find a team that's centered around a board certified dermatologist give you your best chance, you know, for uh, monitoring these things. And if you've had a history of these things or your family has, you should see these people probably annually. But if you've, you know, not seen a dermatologist and you find something that you're concerned about, you know, the first point of care can be your primary care doctor. Many times they can help triage, you know, if you need to see a dermatologist. But 
most people, you know, um, have access to dermatologists one way or the other. Um, there's free skin cancer screenings throughout the month of May all over our city, all over our state. You can just Google it, search it up, and you can find free skin cancer screens. Those are mostly colleagues um, like myself, you know, out there giving pe- all patients, whether you have insurance or not, access to a screening. And if you if they find something concerning, they can get you in touch with people in our community that can help, you know, take the next step. Um, but if, you know, you have insurance and you're able to see a, a, a dermatologist or part of that team, um, the process would be that you'd then have that evaluated by, the, you know, somebody on our team. And if it requires uh, further, you know, um, evaluation, you'd be numbed up and the lesion would be biopsy. It'd be sent to a pathologist. We have a board-certified dermatologist in our group, Dr. Hyatt, and she would uh, take a look at the lesion underneath the microscope at that point, and then she can see whether the histological pattern is one of melanoma or an atypical mole requiring additional therapy and what that would be. Or if it's something that actually, you know, it had some weird features, but it actually is normal. Mm. Um, And depending on what happens there, that will then dictate how that patient's treated. Yep. Okay. Perfect. Um, Anything we're missing? Um, I don't think so. We covered a lot of ground. Um, (laughs) I think, uh, I mean, I brought some props, but I don't know how many people watch this in videos and how many people listen to this. I never know. we could all put on some hats if you want to. Uh, Is that a hair uh, joke? Yeah, well, <laughs> you don't have any hair to protect the top of your head. You know, a hat would help. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, I think we covered a lot of ground, and uh, I think uh, yeah, all the highlights that I wanted to hit. Okay. Perfect. Cool. Well, thank you for coming in. We yeah, appreciate that. That was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. That was fun. And you guys, hey, you heard it from Dr. Countryman. Check out or Google it for screen free skin cancer screenings in the month of May. It's May is Skin Cancer Awareness Month, so check that out. See if you haven't checked yourself um, and you might have a suspicious mole or something, get yourself looked at. Don't, don't wait. Thank you all for joining us on this episode of the Summits Podcast. We appreciate you guys from listening in from wherever your podcast or tuning into the Heroes Foundation YouTube channel. Thank you for doing so. Don't forget, absolutely free. Hit that subscription button if you haven't. Until then, don't forget, beat cancer.